So begins one of the most famous or infamous, depending on who you're asking, melodies in classical music. The theme from Paganini's Violin Caprice, number 24. A difficult work that has become a sort of litmus test of a violinist's technical and musical capabilities. Except that was no violin. The soloist is bassist Dominic Wagner, who created his own original rendition of this virtuosic piece and arranged it for bass. Other movements continue in this manner. Thank you. 
The upright bass in classical music is usually an instrument that stays in the background, grounding the harmonies for an orchestra. While in the world of jazz, upright bass solos are fairly common, it is far less common to see a bassist take on the role of soloist and virtuoso in the classical world. But Dominic is interested in changing this perception of the instrument and has the skills and experience to back it up. Today, on episode 4 of Between Movements, I'll be talking to Dominic about his life as a touring musician. Already in his early 20s, he has won one of the major bass competitions and has performed, recorded, and taught all over the world. I had the pleasure of meeting him earlier this summer, where we recorded a few pieces together. We'll be hearing a couple of those pieces and talk about Dominic's philosophy of music making, education, concertizing, and much more. So stick around because this is definitely a conversation that you won't want to miss. So uh, you just came back from tour, right? Yes, uh, a, a tour. I would say little little tour for like two weeks through Europe. Okay. Not Europe. German, Germany and Austria, basically. Was that solo or was that chamber music? Different stuff, actually. I... Um, first concert was in the Elbphilharmonie in Hamburg mm-hmm. and we played the Brahms clarinet trio and I also played a, a solo piece. The next concerts were like four in a row, no five in a row actually. The first four were sh- only Schubert. Like we played the Trout and we played the G major piano sonata, the, the, ah. the 18th sonata with string sextet instead of piano. Cool. And it worked incredibly well that the arrangement was really well done so that was that was really fun and we played the the schöne müllerin songs with tenor and string quintet oh and nice. then the last concert was again like different combinations some chamber music some solo some trios duos whatever like then and now i'm i have a little a little break with concerts but i'm still doing stuff, organizing stuff, rehearsing for future concerts and, you know, preparing, basically. Keeping busy. Yes, yes. It's good when a musician has a lot of work lined up. So I was talking to my friend actually about this the other day, about how most musicians have a certain moment when they decide they want to be a musician. Was it like Mm -hmm. that for you? Did you have a certain moment when you thought, this is really what I want to do, or did it just happen? Well, I think for me it went gradually. You know, I, I... started with cello originally when I was around four mm-hmm. and then I yeah when I was 10 I changed to bass and back then I didn't think about doing it professionally it was just for fun mm-hmm. and then actually what started motivating me were weird uh, videos on, on YouTube like you know of the big famous basses in the US or in Europe, like Ericsson, Ruiz, Katalin, Rotaru, Jeff Breditich also and and those those videos well, they, they opened a new world for me. I, I saw, wow, you know, the bass can do stuff like that. It can sound beautiful in the upper registers. You have so many possibilities and also a big repertoire, actually. And I did not know that before. So that motivated me to practice more. And then after some time, I just noticed apparently my playing got better from practicing. <laughs> Who would have guessed? <laughs> and... <laughs> Yeah, then I thought it got to the level where I thought, yeah, I mean, now I'm going to do the big competitions. And since they also worked out, I was pretty sure I would be able to do it professionally. And since I enjoyed it a lot, I mean, that's the reason why I did it. You know, why not try to do it professionally? 
Yeah, the you and I met after you was it a competition for the Bratitich Foundation that you won? Yes, yes. It's like in the US I would say it's probably the biggest base competition. Nice. It's just the second time it uh it occurred like in, in two seventeen in September. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was a crazy level at that competition. I don't know how, but somehow I you know, I, I noticed with with competitions it's always about having the luck that at the moment of the competition you play or you meet the taste of the jury or you come closest to the taste of the jury to do what they like, you know. And if they like how you play, and then, well, then you have a chance. And apparently they liked how I play. And also I was lucky because it was, uh, wasn't was only bassists, you know, there were cellists, there were conductors. And that is always a big plus because I... I'm, you know, basses often, I mean, it's understandable, you know, they play one way their whole life and then they say, okay, this is the way, this is the one only right, correct way. And then, you know, then it's purely about luck in the end in a competition. But if you have some people who have got a little more distance from the instrumental perspective, who think more about the music that's happening, then... Yeah, that that was a big luck in general about the competition. Like, if you look at the finals there on YouTube, the four people who play there, they play completely different. Technically and also visually, you see the way they hold the instrument or they stand Mm. or they sit, you know, it's it's crazy. It's totally different. And the thing that's great, it's the only competition in which I ever saw this in Europe. It's always the, it's, you know, the same kind of stuff that people want. In, In, you know, in Italy, they want this. In France, they want this. In Germany, they want this. It's, you kind of know what they want, but yeah, that 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 was pretty cool with the British competition. They were way more free, I would say, way more open-minded. I think that's interesting that you mentioned the whole luck aspect because I think a lot of people doing competitions take it way too seriously. If oh, they yeah. don't win, you know, it's shattering for them. I remember two competitions that I did when I was in, uh, well, one in my undergrad and one in my master's degree, um, and the one in my undergrad. I made it to, I guess, the finals, but the girl who won had multiple memory slips, like, throughout her piece, and completely stopped, like, just straight out stopped about three times during the pieces, had to start, restart, and it just was a mess. She ended up winning first place, and I remember seeing the audience look at one another, like, what, what's going on? And then later on, actually, a few hours later, I was driving through the town and I saw her having lunch with the judges and laughing with them like she knew them really well. And then in my master's degree, I remember the girl who won. After she won this concerto competition, she didn't expect to win. She told me, I didn't think I would win. I don't even know the whole concerto. And she was really nervous. It didn't turn out really well. And later on, the conductor asked her out. <laughs> so it was like definitely a conflict of interest. So those things kind of opened my eyes to, wow, this this whole competition world is. Yeah, so. I, I think I never experienced something like that. You know, where it's, I mean, I, I experienced the craziest things with people's actual tastes. You know, people actually like something that I would not like at all. You know, mm-hmm. that. But I, you know, seeing something like that where price gets decided by something that absolutely has nothing to do with playing or Mm -hmm. music or taste but just no maybe taste but not in music but in 
looks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, not to diminish, your, your playing, I mean, is very, very good. And I'm glad it worked out for you because you were able to, you know, get part... The recording was part of that, right? Part of winning? Yes, and, and, and quite a few concerts. And also I started um, teaching at masterclasses, which is also really fun for me. And I mean... I have to say, you know, in this competition I won, but, you know, I did many, many, I did more than 10 big competitions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, I, I'm also kind of, you know, I, I stopped after that one, though, because I'm like, okay, you know, you know, it won't get better than that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but part of the price of that competition here yeah, was, on the one hand, uh, quite a few concerts. Um, I'm going to, in season 2021, I'm going to perform a recital at Carnegie Hall. I'm really looking forward to that. And yes, yeah, started teaching at a masterclass that Jeff uh, organized in uh, 2018, so last last summer actually. Mm. And this June, I was teaching again at at the UNT. And now I got asked for more and more masterclasses. And on an international basis, I, I gave a masterclass in Austria and I gave a masterclass in London this this summer too. So. And I really enjoy teaching, actually. And apparently, most of the times, it also seems to be interesting or useful for the students. So, and that again motivates me even more to teach. Yeah. So yeah, that that is you know a new world that opened for me kind of through that competition. Teaching sort of keeps you on your toes. It makes you have to practice what you preach. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. You know, I, I had one masterclass this summer in um, the, the one in Austria where I had some seriously good students. One of them even he competed at the Breditich competition too and he got to the semifinal round. You know, he's like a fantastic bassist. And, and you know, I noticed in those lessons at the beginning, I thought, how will I be able to, you know, say something useful to those guys because they already play really good. Yeah. But in the end, it made my mind, my, my, my hearing and everything so much sharper that, yeah, it, it helped me tremendously with my own playing. It's, it's crazy, yeah. Yeah, so as far as traveling goes, I mean, especially I think about bass, you have like the biggest instrument. <laughs> oh, yeah. What are some of the difficulties in, as far as traveling is concerned? Or is, is it difficult or have you gotten used to it? It depends. I have to say it is seriously exhausting quite often flying is always a risk that's that's the biggest problem you know most of my concerts are in in europe and with europe in this case i mean austria germany italy maybe the closer eastern european countries switzerland sometimes maybe denmark holland but you know these are all places where i can take the train and maybe it's like 15 hours maximum and that's okay you know if the train at least the base is safe if you're careful mm -hmm. but with the plane you put it in a flight case the flight case is you know has a very hard outside and it's it's impossible to to break it basically but the biggest problem is the if the base gets broken it's mm -hmm. not during the flight it's during the time when it gets put into the plane and when it gets brought from the plane to the luggage area and that's the that's the time when some people drop it or something you know in some some airports the baggage um, part of the airplane it's like five meters above the ground and in some airports they just take the base out and drop it those five uh, meters they just let it fall and if that <laughs> happens even though the case is stable as hell the base is gonna be destroyed and recently i actually learned like because i was always wondering the bigger orchestras they always do all the tours with 
their bases and they never get they never get destroyed or almost never and i always wondered how is that possible i mean the biggest orchestras like vienna philharmonic or berlin philharmonic they have their own planes really like if they have a asia tour often they have their own plane i did not know that so okay that's then okay you know you can be careful but actually all the big orchestras have one person who has the permit to go and unload all the instruments from the airplane so it's not somebody from the airport it's somebody from the orchestra that works Ah, with the orchestra that unloads the the basses and all that stuff so and probably also tuba and you know i think there are a few instruments that needs need to be checked in so that that is basically how how it works but you know if you're private privately doing this yeah it can always happen that you get a few pieces of wood back but not a bass i had twice i had serious problems once in singapore mm-hmm. um actually didn't didn't break but the climate was crazy it was so hot and humid that the base was completely wet when i opened the flight case at the airport Oof. and that had the result that the glue of the fingerboard just stopped sticking you know the fingerboard of the base fell off oh gosh and well, you know, fortunately, sometimes social media is a good thing. In this case, it absolutely is. I just posted a picture on Facebook and five minutes later I had a contact to a bassist in Singapore who brought me immediately to a violin maker uh-huh. or a violin luthier. I have a better word. <laughs> and then we were there and I asked, you know, what time does it take to, to glue on the fingerboard again? He was like, yeah, two days. But I'm like, well, you know, my concert is tomorrow evening. Yeah, I can do it in one day too, but then it won't stick as good. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> I, was, I was so afraid during the concert that the fingerboard would fall oh. off, but it didn't, fortunately. And yeah, once after a Japan tour, I had my bass was destroyed at a few places. Yeah, I couldn't play on it anymore. Like for a month, it needed to be repaired. And that was a nightmare seeing the bass, you know, with huge cracks. and yeah so flying i try to avoid it as much as possible but even you know the trains it's always you know sometimes it take a train for like 15 hours a day you know or different trains and it is it is incredibly exhausting i have to say i'm jealous to all the violinists cellists even cello you know, second seat it's, it's we have pianists. It easier than yeah, anybody you <laughs> well you don't have to carry your instrument but you don't have your own instrument right you, know, you, you kind of well if you're successful or whatever you can be pretty sure you have a good instrument but maybe you only like steinway and they don't have the steinway mm-hmm. you like they only have bösendorf or whatever you know right so, you never know it's a total gamble when you when you walk up to the piano how good it's going to be sometimes you even have strings that aren't working hammers aren't working i played a concert actually recently and right before the concert almost the entire bass section of the piano the dampers were broken and it would just continue ringing oh so the damper wouldn't actually go down <laughs> so oh. they were able to call a piano tech literally right before the concert maybe half an hour before he finally got it all fixed but i was wondering if i'd have to cancel it or what so these kinds of things happen too for us but 
it's not our instrument so <laughs> that's not my problem <laughs> for you yeah, but you know it's it's your problem when you play <laughs> yeah that's that's true so yeah that's of course that's also complicated or singers man I, they don't need to carry an instrument but if they get sick they're basically oh, yeah. screwed mm -hmm. i just witnessed that we played the schubert songs with an amazing singer now but he got sick and then yeah he had to cancel and and that's yeah like, that's something i don't think about because i've i've played many concerts sick many yeah, me times too. many times and during just our kinda, recordings that's right that's right you had seriously that. sick i had crazy headache and everything yeah because you were staying in this uh dorm room where there was no hot water right <laughs> and also like it was seriously cold and i couldn't like change the 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 ac or anything it was Ugh. really cold and only had like one really thin blanket so i slept you know with my jacket and everything on oh geez and i still got sick because it was just way too cold and then yeah i couldn't take a shower because i mean i could i did at the beginning and then but it was horrible like absolutely ice cold not not little cold if it's a little cold it's okay but like ice cold water <laughs> and then the rest of the room is cold and then you're already really sick i i and then i got headache like crazy headache that yeah. that was yeah i felt i felt so horrible but then uh jeff gave me some medicine and yeah then the recordings went well i would say well let's go ahead and hear one of those recordings from the session where i recorded with dominic this is a piece by David Popper entitled Polonaise de Concert. This was originally written for cello, actually, and Dominic has again taken it and arranged it for bass. <laughs> Thank you. 
is an adventure oh yeah like this this choir tour that i just played uh there was one place we went to uh i think for about 50 people there was we had to stay at this church and there was one shower (laughs) so everyone just had to rotate a lot of people ended up not taking showers and then we're in a bus and it stinks it's (laughs) oh oh (laughs) yeah but yeah i got to for me it got to the point i'm now you know i did crazy really uncomfortable projects so often that now i'm like i mean on the one hand you know it's always about the music but sometimes if the whole if everything around the music is so shitty like the whole traveling and accommodation situation then i'm i started yeah like one or two years ago i started seriously canceling even some some projects that i would have liked to do for example now i had the offer to play a solo concerto with an orchestra in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. But I can you know, I wouldn't fly to Ukraine with my base. You know, it's like there's some countries, some airports where you know they're okay. The bigger airports in, in Germany, Vienna is okay. The bigger airports in the US are most of the time okay. But you know, you always ask people, you know, always ask bassists from certain mm-hmm. areas of the world how are their exp- experiences flying. For example, China is like so risky with the base that you get it back in one piece it's almost impossible and ukraine no chance and renting a base there for solo a good one no chance so i thought you know i would have to take the train and it was like 35 hours train oh my gosh (laughs) and then i yeah i canceled it because yeah no way like 35 hours with the train for a concert i mean it would have been a nice concert you know but we always for for basses playing solo with orchestra it's always a big thing but 35 hours with the train or flying and the risk or renting a probably shitty bass nah. yeah well it's, it's the things it's it's not a glamorous thing but this this actually brings me to a question which i, I kind of want your opinion on this um a lot of musicians talk about recording uh versus playing live and in recording is nice but these days it's very difficult to make money off of recordings so a lot of musicians that i talk to say that all the money or most of their money is made from live concerts have you found this to be the case absolutely i have to say like maybe 30 40 50 years ago it was still possible to make money from recordings but nowadays no chance yeah you don't make you don't make any money from recordings Mm-hmm. But I still like doing recordings. I, I think it's a totally different form of art than a concert. A concert is way more spontaneous. In, in a recording, you you know, you kind of get your idea as well pronounced as possible out there. You know, it's you, you play your piece many times and then you know what you want to say with it, mm-hmm. kind of. And then, then if you're like really sure, yeah, this is what I want to say with this piece, then you can record it and get exactly that done you can Mm -hmm. exactly get what you want with the piece in a live concert 
for me it's so important to be way more spontaneous in a live oh, concert yeah. i wanna i wanna it, it's about the moment it's absolutely about the moment that's why i'm also not the biggest fan of live recordings because you play differently if you're in a concert if it's yeah. being recorded or if it's no recording that's that's the thing i mean it's not like i don't like listening to live recordings i, I do a lot of other people <laughs> but if i play live and it's being recorded and i know it's like for television or for radio or something ah it's it's i don't play the same i don't feel the same i don't have the freedom to do to be yeah as crazy or not crazy as i want to be with, with whatever it is that i'm playing so yeah in the end the money you make as a classical musician i think in maybe in pop hip-hop in hip-hop probably it's that's i think probably the most popular genre right now you can still um make a lot of money from recording and also you know that you see that the difference that the labels often they are the ones who are also organizing the concerts of classical music that's totally different that the labels that publish uh, the cds or your music online they don't really organize your concerts you like you have your contact to the label you're working with then maybe to a pr agent then maybe also to a concert agency and you know that's that's many different channels you know yeah yeah i find sometimes when i play live what i think are the best live concerts you know where audience interaction is great there's that connection and just the energy and everyone's excited about it sometimes those don't translate into good recordings. You know? That's true, yeah, yeah. It's 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 funny. The energy is totally different. But also with recording, what I love about it is I feel like it sharpens my ear in a Absolutely. completely different way because you're listening back to the takes and you think it sounds a certain way and then you're forced with the reality, no, this is actually how it sounds. You can see the waveform. You can see the actual sound itself. And it just doesn't yeah, lie. Yeah. It's it's like staring into a mirror, <laughs> really hard. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's fantastically horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's brutal sometimes. Yeah, but I I absolutely like I like recording because the thing is, you know, you could break your hand at any day. You could whatever have problems if you're playing. Something can happen all the time. But a recording, you know, it's it's there. Mm -hmm. It's recorded. If especially now in the in if you uploads a recording on on let's say youtube everyone all over the world can watch it has access to it and yeah it's not like a cd that you can lose it's it's there it's you know even if you choose to like set it on private so nobody can see it anymore you can still see it and for me that that is kind of you know if if i say okay with this piece i think i got something to say that's worth listening to in in the recorded form and it's obviously that's different in a concert but if i play the piece many many times then maybe i get to the point one day where i'm like yes this piece i think i can record and i think it might actually be worth listening to and yeah then then i actually really like recording it it's like it's like finishing or not finishing you do you know i even the pieces we recorded i play them differently now yeah but yeah. you know you you it's like you know, if you if you play a computer game, you get a certain safe file. You know, that's that's uh -huh, you know uh -huh. you you accomplished a lot with it, and you got it now. Yeah. You got this, and you cannot lose it anymore. You know. <laughs> yes. So um, one thing I definitely am interested in talking to you 
about is music college. And, and I think all the podcasts that I've done so far always, at least in some way, go back to this because it's such an interesting issue. You, how much, how much of music school have you actually done? Uh, when I started the, the bass, I was 10. And when I was 12, I started getting lessons at the university in Vienna for six Wait, you years. Were, you were 10 when you started bass? The bass, yeah, yeah. And okay. when I was 12, I started getting lessons at the University of Vienna. You know, not, not like I, not like a bachelor studies, like a special program. If, if you're lucky, you just, I just got the lessons with the teachers and I didn't need to do any like music theory back then. Obviously, mm-hmm. with 12, you cannot do that stuff. And then I was in Vienna for six years and at the university. And then I went to Nuremberg in, in Germany. It's, it's near Munich. And, there I did one year of the same kind of studying and then I finished school, I finished high school. Then I started studying bachelors and now I'm officially in the fourth year of bachelor. I try, I would try to get some kind of degree, but it's very difficult because I'm not able to, well, I'm not able to be at the school so often because of the concerts I play and they unfortunately are not very cooperative. You know, they, I, I often had situations where teachers said, well, if you play so many concerts, why are you even studying anymore then? And I'm like, maybe because there's a fantastic teacher here or maybe because I would need a degree. Maybe I want to teach one day myself, you know, and officially you need a at least a bachelor and probably a master's degree to, to teach at the university officially. In, I mean, sometimes some universities, if you're a really good instrumentalist and a really good teacher, they make exceptions and if you had a really big career sometimes they make exceptions but most and some universities some do not they do not care about your qualities your career no they want a degree so i really i really want to try to get a degree but it's it's difficult and yeah for most jobs you don't need it if you play concerts you don't need a degree right. if you play in an orchestra if you want to win an orchestra audition they will not care about your degree you need to play good if you play yeah. good, then yeah, sure. If you if you do the big competitions, they do not care about your degree. Also, the only thing where you need a degree is yeah, if you want to teach. And in Europe, at least, I don't know how it is in in the US. If you need degrees for orchestra auditions, um, I'm not so well informed when it comes to that. But but it's difficult, yeah, to to get get that if if you're not there. I remember you saying this and and thinking about it when you were uh, when we were doing the recordings and you said. You wanted to go finish your degree, but you were too busy with uh, touring and recording and giving concerts. And I thought that's so ironic because the whole reason most of us do performance careers is because we want to perform. But I think this is something that the colleges are going to have to figure out. Um, Absolutely. Especially moving forward into the future because times are changing. Like we said, giving concerts is so important if you want to make money. So we're going to need to figure out a way to work that in yeah i i think the biggest problem is that problem well i I think it's a fact that the most important thing for becoming a good musician for being able to perform live and make music live the most important thing you need is experience i think it's the same in most areas of life Mm -hmm. most important thing for most things is actually experience to do stuff. If you if you want to, let's say, if you want to become a great violinist, 
just practicing, having a lesson once a week and maybe twice a year you have a class concert and that's it, that will never make you really good. If you don't play other concerts, if you don't do chamber music with different people, if you don't play a lot of repertoire also live. Yeah. And especially especially also chamber music. Like I learned so much from that. I play like 30, 40 chamber music concerts a year. And you know, now and then I see, ah, this violinist, he does this. Oh, that's amazing. Maybe I should do that too. Or mm. maybe this cellist, he plays this place like that. Ah, that's a really good idea. Maybe I could use this, you know. That's the thing. You build up your own identity as a musician through experiencing music in different ways with different people and this this experience yeah you can only get through actually making music with people and performing and unfortunately sometimes the universities work against that right in the end they forget that you know they say yeah this is our system and why should we make it different for different people and I understand that argument, I totally do, but on the other hand, if you kind of disencourage people to, well, play concerts, if you want them to just be in the city, at the school, all the time, that will not make them good musicians. And in the end, why do you study? Right. Not to get a degree, but to become a good musician, actually. That's, yeah. that's the end goal. Maybe I'm just I'm studying to get a degree, but <laughs> no. But uh, also to become a better musician, though, because my teacher is fantastic in, in in Nuremberg, so I can still learn learn a lot. That's also the thing, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely important to know a lot about music, to study it, to know the history, to know the theory. So I understand why we need to do a lot of these things, but again, at the same time, there needs to be a better balance. One of the biggest misconceptions I had going into college, and I think a lot of people, is assuming that by becoming a performance major, it will open up opportunities and doors for you to perform. And I have to say, after almost finishing three degrees, it has not. It has opened up very, very few doors. A lot of what I've had to do, I've had to do on the side just through networking, talking to people calling people, um, you know, just agreeing to do even free concerts and things like this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'm actually optimistic, though. I think it will change in the future. Uh, we have in America the problem of college being so expensive. It's not oh, anywhere yeah. near that in Europe. But because yeah, of that... you don't pay at all, actually. In Germany and in Austria, yeah. <laughs> you don't pay if you, if you study at the university. Right. But you need to be able to speak German, though. That's that's the thing. You need a if you like come from a different country, you need a certain certificate, like B1 certificate of of German. But then studying at universities is actually free, and that's I think amazing. Education <laughs> education should be free. Like I I'm I'm lucky, you know. I, I in, where I'm from, it's like education and healthcare is considered a basic human. They these are considered basic human rights. And everyone has access to them. Everyone. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. And that's pretty amazing, actually. And I think it should be the case everywhere, but... Yeah, I wish. I wish. America <laughs> is going to have a very, very interesting next 10 years. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm it's sure. It's very common for students to graduate with, you know, $100,000, $150,000 of debt, which is... That's... You know, you yeah. can buy houses for that money. 
you need 10 or 20 years to pay that off mm -hmm. most or even longer you know depends a on whole what lifetime studying. for some people <laughs> oh so, my god so uh oh yeah another thing is both of your parents are musicians right yeah yeah you played one of your father's compositions at, at uh at the house concert that we did um, yes and your mom is she what does she do She's a cellist, and she plays the viola da gamba. Oh, nice, nice. So she does early music stuff, too. Yes, yes. How did that affect you growing up, you know, coming from a musical family? Was it, was it difficult, or was it, was it good? Do you think it helped you? Well, I think there's so many different ways um, of growing up in a musician's family. Some parents kind of force their kids, you know, they say, yeah, you have to learn this instrument, and you have to practice three hours a day or four hours or five or six whatever and yeah they they really force them when they're kids to practice and to do that even if they don't want to i i know people like that and most well most times they the kids stop playing when they're like 14 as soon as they get the the authority for themselves mm -hmm. or at least the, you know as, as soon as they get the allowance to decide for themselves they right. stop often if if they come from a family where it's like you do that or you you know you just do it you need to play and you need to practice in my case um i was lucky it was never that way mm. um i would say the biggest way that my parents being musicians influenced me was that it gave me the idea to learn an instrument you know that i learned the cello well i wanted to learn the cello actually way earlier than i did because I always heard my mother practice and I always loved it. I always mm. loved the sound of the cello and I still do. And then I, I think I was like three or something and I said, I want to learn cello now. Then she tried to find an instrument that's, you know, the right size for a three years old kid, but she only found one that sounded so bad that I had to wait a little more. And finally, when I was like four and a half years old, something like that, I. I could f finally start learning the cello, and I mean, I you know, in my early earlier years, I didn't practice that much. I practiced daily. You know, my mom was like, you know, if we pay for music school, then you at least practice twenty minutes a day. Like, yes. I mean, okay, twenty minutes a day, you can do that. I mean, it's yeah. If yeah, you yeah. if we rent an instrument and pay for the lessons, then you at least do that. And I mean, that's okay. You know, that's not so much. And most of the time. I mean, in some days as a kid, you don't want to, but in most days, it's, you know, it's, it's, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. And I mean, of course, it started to become more and more the older I got. And when I was like 13, 14, you know, then I started practicing many hours a day. And yeah, I remember, you know, often in musicians' families that the parents say, practice more, practice more. In my case, it was like, oh, come on, please stop practicing. We want some quiet. <laughs> You've been practicing all day long. Please stop. <laughs> so yeah, that's, um, that was fun. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's that's good though that that you had that balanced approach. I taught yes, yes. many years in um, in like uh, the Chinatown of Queens, New York, and a lot of my students were in the situation where they were forced to. Yeah, so yeah. like a very Asian parent thing. Um, so yeah. my mom, my mom's also Asian, but she didn't force, force me. She was much more balanced, uh, than most. That's I did great. it because I, I loved it. I mean, she would, 
like you're saying, say, remind me, like, you know, we're paying for lessons. You got to practice. You know, she would remind me these things and I'm glad she did, but it was never like compulsory thing. And every one of the students that I've had that were forced to, they just hated it. Absolutely. I see that so often. Yeah. When music becomes something you have to do, it just robs all the fun out of it. And it's unfortunate. It's not music. It's not music. Then it's just playing an instrument. It's, but it's not making music then. But what I found even more interesting, and I didn't know this is until I began teaching, a lot of the parents that forced their kids to learn didn't even really know a thing about music or didn't listen to music. I would ask these kids, so what music do you listen to? Uh, I don't know. I don't listen to music. Or what does your family listen to? What are your parents like? Oh, they don't listen to music. And I began talking to all my students' parents like, you know, it would be a good idea if you like start playing music in the background at least or have music goings yeah that they get a natural approach you know if you have it in your ear if you it's crazy how much you can learn instinctively as a kid by listening right i mean i i i think i'm sure that i learned so much just from listening to my parents make music and i i learned a lot also we, we played a lot of chamber music my sister used to well she still plays the viola now and then but she used to play more often. Um, mm -hmm. Now she's studying biotechnology and international economy engineer. Wow. So finally something useful. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but yeah, uh, we used to play a lot of chamber music um, and together, and that also helped me a lot. And yeah, just listening to music, it's so helpful. I, I used to listen for like two or three hours a day to different cellists' re mm -hmm. recordings. Mm -hmm. That's what kind of gave me my taste for music. Yeah, my parents, they loved music. My, my dad, he was like an amateur pianist, so he took lessons when he was young. He never became professional, but as I grew up, there would always be music in the house. They'd always be listening to, and various styles of music, but if you're not if you're not doing that i think in your younger years and definitely by middle school and high school if you're not a, a lover of music i don't think you should go into it because it, by that yeah, point yeah. i mean if you don't love the thing it's it's not the kind of career where you can just do it on the side and yeah like, okay yeah, well this is something i do no <laughs> you need to be you need to serious. burn for it basically yeah yeah, yeah. You need to have passion for it. I mean, I, I for me, it was, yeah, when I was like 13, 14, I, I started realizing how much I actually love the bass and, and me making music with the bass. And music in general. I mean, again, mostly I listen to cellists because there are more good cellists than there are good basses. <laughs> yeah. Although there are quite a few really good basses and it's becoming more and more, but... Yeah, the cello has a way bigger market. Yeah, so that helped me realize, oh, yeah, I love this. I really do. And then I got passionate about it. And if, and you need to be because you work basically for like 20 years, many hours a day to get a job that in the end, I mean, you some, some things you, you study like for, I don't know, five years or six years at the university. And then you get paid better than most musicians ever get paid. 
Yeah. It's like the if you think about how much work it is and how much you get paid in the normal situation. Of course, if you look at, I don't know, Barenboim, Anne-Sophie Muta, Yoyo Ma, and these people, it's okay, it's ridiculous what, what amounts of money they get. But for the average musician, if you think about how much work they put into it and how much money they get out in the end, it's absolutely not worth it. <laughs> yeah. But... It can be if if that if you think about it this way, but if you think about it in a way that music is the thing you love and you get paid for doing that, well, it can be pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. And you have to think too about all the lessons as a kid that your parents, you know, paid for. Oh yeah. That's years and years of investment of time and money and energy. But I don't I don't regret it. When I look back no, at, at yeah. my life and all these experiences I've had, um, the places I've traveled, the interesting people, it's been a way for me to connect to the world. I, I would not have that if I was working an office job. I think I would actually yes, be very, yes. very depressed if I was working an office job. Well, I think it depends on the on the office job and on the colleagues you have, I mm -hmm. think, and on whatever it is you have going on besides that. I mean, then, you know, that's a job. You know, there are jobs and then there are careers and then there are mm. things you do with passion. I think this... And if you can combine career, passion and job, you know, money, can be nice if yeah. it works out. Yes. <laughs> it's a big <laughs> if. Yes, it is. Glad it's been working out for you. I think we'll probably uh, wrap this up. Thanks so much again. Sure, sure. What's really you have fun. any any interesting things coming up in the future? Nothing I can officially announce at the moment. Ah. I mean, I'm I'm probably currently I'm working on on some stuff that might be interesting soon, but at the moment, yeah, it's nothing. Nothing I can I can say for sure yet. Is there Just playing concerts? <laughs> okay. You know. Is there a good way for anyone who's listening to check out your music? You have like a website or what's what's the yeah, best place? Yeah, sure. You 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 can you can. I think the best place to check out my music is on YouTube. Just type in my name, Dominic Wagner, and you will find our recordings. For yeah. example, yeah, yeah. The, that's the thing. The the best way. Either you come to my concerts, but you know that that's why I do the why I make those videos. It's because you know I found out on through social media that there are actually quite a few basis to like listening to my playing who live in in asia or in south america and they will maybe never in their lives hear me play actually mm -hmm. in a concert and it's the same for me there's some cellists i admire that i have never had the chance to to listen to live in a concert i just listen to their cds or to their recordings on youtube especially to those because i also like watching the playing obviously so yeah i think the best way if you cannot listen to me playing in a concert live you can watch some videos on youtube all right sounds good okay dominic it's been great talking to you thank you so much thank you good luck for fun. your future uh, music making good luck to you too so i'll go ahead and leave you guys with one more recording from our session this is a piece by edward grieg originally for violin from the sonata for violin and piano number three opus 45 this is the second movement, the Allegretto, which Dominic has taken again and arranged for bass.
Thank you.